session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tolakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number 310-441-0555. Before I start the show, I want to announce the book of the week again. It is The Power of Different by Dr. Gail Saltz. The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius. And I am maybe 10, 15% into the book. But uh, I do seem, the, the thesis she seems to put forward, I very much agree with this idea that sometimes uh, we think of mental illness and we think of it just as an illness, something negative and only negative. But as she points out, and she is uh, does with various types of brain differences, as she calls them, there is sometimes plus sides to what we consider mental illness, sometimes even a link, as the subtitle says, between disorder and genius. And uh, it reminds me of the book, A First Rate Madness, that I uh, shared a few months ago um, that saw that sometimes some great leaders actually were great leaders because of their mental illness, not actually despite of them. And so it seems to have a similar uh, idea here that you actually can have some benefits from things like even depression, something we think of as just a negative thing. There can actually be some positives to it, and it changes the paradigm from just trying to remove an illness and remove it and make it not exist to recognizing we can actually gain something from them as well um, while also potentially treating them. So looking forward to finishing that book and sharing it with you on uh, Monday's show of next week. wanted to start off today uh, talking about a topic that, um, especially in the mental health field and fields like it, gets a lot of attention, but now it's becoming more common, and that is this term that we hear, self-care, which, as it implies, is taking care of yourself. Now, uh, when I was in graduate school, this was a big theme that you would hear throughout your internships and in different classes. The idea of how do you take care of yourself, what do you do for self-care was a question you'd commonly get in interviews to see how you answered that. But basically, what do you do to make sure you're okay um, and you are not getting burnt out, which is something very common for people in helping fields like therapists or nurses or doctors they can get a they can get a feeling of burnt burnout when they're depleted and feel like they're giving too much and maybe not getting enough or taking care of themselves so this idea of self-care we hear a lot about it and now it's becoming more of a not just for professionals but people to talk about in their daily lives and they'll say well i'm doing this for self-care and very often now you hear it 
when people are doing something maybe that they're almost guilty about or they feel like they should be guilty about it, like they're spending money on themselves or they're going to a spa and having a spa day and feel like maybe it's too much money. But if they say it's self-care, somehow it's okay or it makes it more justifiable. Um, and the idea, and I've seen a few articles about this, which is why I wanted to talk about it today, is that we should shift our perspective of self-care away from this idea that it's a few things that we do sometimes um, or it's something that we do right before we get burned out to make sure we don't get burned out or that it's an indulgence that I'm doing something kind of selfish by doing self-care, all of which are the ways that sometimes people talk about it and actually recognize that self-care is our responsibility. It's our duty to take care of ourselves. And not only that, to actually do self-care requires great discipline and consistency. It's not about sometimes doing something here and there or um, once in a while treating yourself to something. That could be part of it. But really, self-care should be a bigger picture way of looking at your life, something that every day is related to. Um, so again, when people talk about self-care, they'll often say things like, treating themselves to something expensive. But actually, self-care is making sure you do everything you need to stay healthy and to stay happy and to take care of yourself. So, for example, an important part of self-care is getting enough sleep every day. And it's actually funny that I knew I wanted to talk about this today. And last night I had a really rough night falling asleep. Um, I think I had caffeine a little bit too late, so I didn't fall asleep till about... 3, 3.30 in the morning. It was a pretty miserable night. Fortunately, I don't have many nights like that. Um, but that wasn't a good night of self-care. And actually, when I woke up in the morning, I had an appointment with the trainer, physical trainer, um, to work out. And I thought about canceling it, but I'm glad I went. And I'm happy I didn't. I feel better about it now, but I was very tired in the morning. And so this is where self-care also becomes complicated because we have to balance various things. So in that moment, I could have gotten more sleep, but I would have lost the workout. And I chose the workout over the sleep in that moment. But we want to try to fit all of them into our lives. So self-care isn't something that we do some of the time. It should be something that we're doing all of the time. And self-care isn't selfish, or does it mean... We don't care or love people around us. And this is especially true for parents to hear because very often parents think that if they're doing something for themselves, that's being selfish and they should only do things for their kids. Uh, you see this a lot in Iranian parents, especially Iranian mothers, this feeling that I have to be a martyr for my kids. And if I'm taking time away to take care of myself, then I'm being selfish and I'm not being a good mom when this couldn't be anything further from the truth. I just did some self-care and had a sip of water so I could continue talking. But um, it's not selfish to take care of yourself. And I see this all the time in families where the mother is not taking care of herself and the whole family suffers as a result. No one benefits from seeing someone suffering or someone in pain or someone who's not taking care of themselves. And you also are modeling to your children how to live your life. And so you're modeling to them this message that you can neglect yourself. It's okay to not take care of yourself. You should sacrifice yourself for other people. And that's how you show love. So it's bad on multiple fronts. 
but it's not helping anyone. So I always tell parents, uh, very often they'll come in and say, I'm here for my kid or my teenager. And you see them just falling apart and they're not okay. Not just emotionally opening up, but overall that they're not taking care of themselves. And when you bring up taking care of themselves or even for them to go to therapy for their own issues or to help them feel better, they'll... Uh, you know, scoff at it or say, oh, no, I don't. Everything is for my kids. I only do things for my kids. And I try to get them to see that that is also for their kids. It's not something bad or selfish. In order to take care of other people, we have to take care of ourselves. And first and foremost, our responsibility is to ourselves to make sure we are okay. I use this analogy a lot, but I think it makes sense in, in looking at what we're talking about here, that when you're on a plane and the oxygen masks drop, even if you're with a child, they tell you, put the oxygen mask on yourself first. You have to make sure you're okay. And then once you're okay, you can take care of your child and do everything you need to do. Um, but I sometimes think of the martyr who gets on the plane and thinks, I'm going to save everyone. And before putting the mask on themselves tries to run around and put everyone's masks on them to help them because they're such a helper. But once they get to three or four people, they pass out because they need to breathe and now everyone has to actually help them. And that's what actually ends up happening. People try to help everyone and don't take care of themselves and then they do it for a while, but then they collapse or have a breakdown or they become resentful and explode and then now it becomes everyone's problem. So as much as they thought they didn't need anything, and they told themselves they didn't need anything and they only needed to take care of other people, it doesn't work. And actually people pay the, the price in the long run. But going back to the plane analogy, if you take care of yourself, if you put the mask on yourself, you can take care of the whole plane or do whatever else is needed. So taking care of yourself is not selfish. It actually, first of all, is a sign of self-love. And recognizing yourself as a person means if I love all human beings, I love myself and I'm going to take care of myself. And only I can really do that in the best way possible. But also if I want to help other people, whether I'm a parent or just a person in my daily life and I want to help people, um, the only way I can do that is if I'm okay. And that's the only way I can do it to the best of my ability. But coming back to this idea of self-care... Again, it shouldn't be something that involves once in a while doing something for yourself. It should be something that we create as a um, mind, a frame of mind and a way of living our lives that everything we need is taken care of. Am I getting enough sleep? Am I eating the right things? Am I exercising? Am I meditating? Am I having social activities? Is my work feeling good? Am I feeling good there? Is my marriage or relationship healthy? All of these are included in self-care. They are all part of taking care of ourselves. And I think actually some of what's also shifted this term of self-care is that it's almost been commercialized as a lot of things are. And it becomes something where advertisers can sell their product as a form of self-care. So buy this and it's self-care or do this and it's self-care. And it's usually spending too much or spending money that you maybe don't need to spend and that itself wouldn't be self-care if you're spending more money than you need to now you're gonna have a financial stress and that's not self-care another way that people use the term inappropriately in my mind is that they will often um, use it as a reason to do something that isn't good for them long term they'll say well i'm going to you know stay up later and watch tv you know i deserve it this is self-care 
but then they're sacrificing their sleep. So they're giving into the, the kind of the guilty pleasure or the immediate and instant gratification and not really taking care of themselves. Or I'm going to drink extra or eat extra or, you know, I just want to relax today. That's my self-care. I'm not going to go exercise. And so self-care actually is not those things. It's not being lazy. Another way that people do this, they'll say YOLO, which is you only live once and they'll use as an excuse to do things that aren't good for them and make bad decisions, but almost in a way that I deserve it. I deserve to make this bad decision. You can choose to make whatever decision you want, but you have to recognize the consequences and you're going to pay those consequences and it's up to you. So self-care to me isn't this idea of um, indulging in a negative way. That's not taking care of yourself. And of course, I don't mean that everything you do has to be structured and you can't have unstructured time. And sometimes you actually do need to take some time off and do nothing or take a break from the gym or from work or whatever it might be. That is part of self-care as well. But we have to be aware of when we're making decisions that are hurting ourselves and hurting our future and trying to justify it as I'm taking care of myself, which is sometimes what people do. So I'm at a party. Well, I should drink as much as I want and not worry about tomorrow because I need self-care. Well, maybe that tells you that you're not doing okay if you need to indulge in that way because you're giving up your responsibility for tomorrow. So self-care, as this one article I read from Forbes, was saying it's actually quite boring because it means, okay, it's 10 o'clock. I need to start getting ready for bed and have a bedtime routine because I need to get enough sleep for tomorrow. It doesn't always mean a $300 massage or whatever it might be. You might include massages in your self-care, but in a way that makes sense for you. So taking care of ourselves, one, is something that is our responsibility and we should take very seriously. And self-care and selfishness are not the same thing, just like self-love and selfishness are not the same thing. And to love yourself is actually a way to make sure you're okay so that you can even take care of your loved ones better. It's not selfish at all. But self-care involves disciplined um, and purposeful behavior and actions to make sure you're doing okay in all aspects of your life. And it's up to us to make sure we are okay. No one else is going to do it for us. All right, we've reached our first commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi. Um, thank you for giving me your time. Sure. Uh, I'm in the graduate school right now, mm-hmm. in physical therapy program, and uh, uh, I, uh, like my, my English, I don't feel that like my English is like perfect, that's like be enough for, for uh, the level that. Uh, the educational level that I am in, but uh, I finished like I'm graduating like in two weeks 
later, but like my GPA is like 3.8 right now. It's uh, I had a great uh, grade on on, on my uh, science uh, classes, but I always worried about I cannot do it well. And I'm worried about like getting job and doing my internship and. Um, I think it affects on my all these worry and stresses affects on my like cognition like get, uh, for getting things and uh, when, like I know many uh, like wanna when I wanna like talk about something I keep forgetting words <laughs> that I wanna say and I remember it with, with delay so and then I uh, uh, I'm like concerned that maybe I have some learning disabilities or should I go to a psychologist to see what's wrong with me so it's a lot of stress and I don't know if it's a real thing or I'm too much worried about myself Hmm. well I mean you know to begin with your English sounds very good at times I might have detected a slight accent but barely and you speak very well so it doesn't seem like to me that your English would get in the way of your career and clearly you've done well in in school so you're able to do that so I, I it seems like some of it might be you're thinking that it's bigger than it is which is the truth with any insecurity we might have we always in our head it's bigger than what people see um, but when you talk about the forgetting words and the way you feel when you're talking is that true whether it's English or Farsi is it true no matter what or is it just in English you get that way yeah I think I think in Farsi, sometimes too, uh, especially like I'm awful at remembering things and it's so embarrassing for me mm-hmm. uh, to, to like when I see people and I have talked with them before and when I see them, I cannot remember their, their name at a time when I want to say like, hi, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just, I feel so bad that I cannot remember their name, but it doesn't matter how familiar that like people are or close to me, uh, I keep forgetting names. Yeah, now, you know, it's interesting, you you know, you, you keep, you're saying forgetting names or remembering names, which is usually what people say. Uh, what I'm already picking up on, or what seems to be the case, is you might have some anxiety overall, but especially social anxiety. But when it comes to remembering names, m- lots of people who say they are really bad with names, usually what's happening is, it's not that they're bad at remembering the names, it's that they never really heard them in the first place because of their anxiety. So if you're meeting someone and you're so preoccupied with how you're going to say hello or what are they thinking of you and how do I say my name and I don't know what your name is and you don't have to say it, but especially sometimes if you have you know a Persian name that might be a little bit difficult for them to say, so you're so fixated on what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, then when they say their name, you actually don't even register it. You don't take it in. So there's no way for you to remember it. So my guess is that's something that you might be experiencing, is that, that it's not that you're bad with names or you don't remember names. It's actually that because of the anxiety and the social anxiety, you're not hearing the names in the first place and they're not really registering. So because of that, actually, there's some things you can do to help with that. Um, 
first of all, the social anxiety and things we can talk about. But even when it comes to names specifically, you can look up some things online, but there's things such as repeating someone's name when you meet them. So if you meet someone and they say, hi, my name is John, you say, John, hi, John, nice to meet you. And that itself will help a bit because you're saying it in your head, you're making sure you heard it, you're repeating it. Or especially if it's a name that might have different spellings, like they say Sean, you can say, is that Sean S-H-A-W-N or S-E-A-N? And they can tell you which way. Or if it's a unique name, ask them how to spell it. Those things actually will make it register more in your head so that you actually take more note of it and you're more likely. So it's not about um, remembering the names or forgetting because very, you know, it seems interesting people, why would we be bad at names? The thing is that we're actually not taking them in. But the bigger picture, names are not the only thing, obviously, you're concerned about. It seems that you have anxiety overall when I'm hearing you talk even, but then a social anxiety. And especially since you said even when you're speaking in Persian, you still have that issue, that makes us think that it's not about language. Because if you told me I get nervous when I'm speaking English, but not at all when I'm speaking in Persian, I'd say, okay, it seems like you might have an insecurity there or you're not comfortable with it and that's contributing to it. But if you say it's in both languages, it seems like it has nothing to do with language. It's more about your own um, feeling or experience of social anxiety. Yes, that's true. And I feel that, like, I I don't have enough self-esteem mm-hmm. uh, to express myself because, like, I don't, I, I know things, and then, but I don't feel, like, comfortable to say that at first, but I wait for others. Like, in, in the class, I wait for others to say that, and then I say, oh, I, yeah, that was the thing that, that, mm-hmm. that I was thinking about. So that was true, you know? Like, I, uh, I felt that, like, I don't have, like, enough uh, self-esteem. Uh, but I don't know how. Uh, and in, in my field, I'm I'm thinking that I'm going to help other people with that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, how like I have this problem myself, so I have to fix it to be able to help others like better. Um, Well, I mean, so a few things. Let me say a few things. So, um, to begin with, social anxiety is almost always tied into self-esteem because a big part of what people will experience is that they're worried about being judged in a particular way. And maybe I can even ask you about that. Sometimes they're afraid of being, you know, looking stupid or how they physically look or how people are going to judge them in different ways, which can reflect what they might think about themselves. But almost always we'll see social anxiety associated with low self-esteem, not feeling good about yourself and you're afraid of being judged in some way. So there's a good chance you you have that. But um, I wouldn't want you to think I have to fix this before I can help people. Um, Even as a therapist, any therapist still is going to have issues they're dealing with doesn't mean they can't be a helpful therapist. But then even in physical therapy, it's I think it's you can be more than okay. Now, I, I hope you work on it for yourself. And it can make you even better in your work and in everything you do just in your own experience. But I wouldn't want you to think I can't get a job because of this or I will, I, you know, I can't do my job well because of this. It doesn't yeah. have to hold you back. It seems like you, you give yourself a lot of um, self-limiting beliefs. Like my, because of my English, I'm not going to get a job. Or because of my English or my self-esteem, I'm not going to get a job. Or social anxiety, I won't do my job well. But it seems like you've been very successful so far. And this is a thing with... Uh, unfortunately, with something like anxiety, is that people 
will worry and worry. And that even if they realize nothing bad has happened with all those worries, the worries still come again. So you can say, well, because of my English, I'm sure you probably thought you couldn't do well in school, but you said you have a three point, I don't know, seven or eight in graduate school. That's, that's great. And so clearly you were able, it wasn't holding you back, or maybe you could have done even better, but you did really well. So you're going to keep telling yourself these self-limiting things which is at a deeper level, which is why if you haven't already, I'd highly recommend you go to therapy because social anxiety is something that is very treatable. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like I don't believe that people when they, they uh, say that uh, like uh, accomplishing me, I, I feel that now they are just saying that because they want me to feel good about myself. They, that's mm. not true. You know, I don't believe when people say that. And I always they keep telling me, no, that I'm not good, I'm not good at that, I'm not good at this. But like, uh, like I, I, and then like I always want the other people's uh, performance to compare myself to them, to accept myself. Which is, I know that that's not a good thing, but it's like unconscious to them. Yeah. All in my mind. Sure, it's, it seems like it's unconscious and automatic, and you're right, it's not going to be helpful. And you'll, the way your mind works, you'll always find a way to make yourself less than or somehow the loser, or not the winner in the comparison. Or if you find one person, comparing in general is bad because if we do it enough, we'll always find someone who's better than us in whatever we're looking at, and we're going to feel bad. But it, it seems like that's constantly something you do. Now, looking a little bit deeper, tell me a bit about your childhood or when you even how long do you feel like you've had these feelings of let's say social anxiety or or low self-esteem um i i felt that like um, my parents always compared me with others that they wanted like the way that they encouraged me to study was comparing me with others like see what like uh, that person is doing well mm. you try hard to be able to catch it hmm. so and then i think that that's happened uh, for me that like right now it doesn't let me alone yeah unfortunately we 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 internalize our parents voice so if they constantly compared you and made you feel less than these other people and unfortunately lots of parents and people think this is a good way to motivate someone to show them who's better than them and even don't compliment someone because they're gonna get complacent or think they're so good that they won't try anymore or whatever it might be but we know it's very hurtful to the kids to have that and so it seems like your parents were putting you down and now you've internalized that voice into your own head they don't need to even be there you're doing it to yourself and it's hard to shut that off but it is possible and it does does take work but that's work that i hope you will do and as i mentioned before therapy is probably the best way for you to address these issues because there's the social anxiety and maybe even taking some medication can help and you know there's ways that you can make it better but there's deeper issues that you're definitely dealing with that i would hope you you address have you ever been to therapy before no i tried to read a lot of articles about that mm -hmm. uh, and then i looked into trauma for ptsd and like because it affects on amygdala and like the part of the brain that's related to memory and things like that um uh, i felt that like uh it was i i'm not very happy about my parenting like uh, my parents parenting style and there was like i remember some uh bad memories about that that i felt maybe that affects on hmm. i i'm not sure you know like uh, but 
possible. Well, it's very possible, yeah. I mean, when you think of the trauma, what would you describe as the specific trauma you went through? Um, like, like the behavior. Um, the behavior, like, um, like my father was, like, drinking alcohol while he was not alcohol alcoholist, like, addicted, but, like, he was, every night he was, like, drinking, and, like, he had, and then I was in my adolescent age, so, and, and it was, like, bothering me a lot, his behavior, and... The well, if he was, if he was drinking, was if he was drinking every night, that maybe he was alcoholic. Uh, if, if it was, like, alcoholic, he never get a professional help, and he well, stopped at some point. Well, most people are, you know, don't get treatment for all sorts of mental issues and especially addiction because they're in denial of it so if you're saying he was drinking every night and you didn't like his behavior while he was drinking it's very likely he was an alcoholic um when yeah. you say you didn't like his behavior was he physically abusive uh not be not abusive but like kind of uh talking a lot and getting uh uh into problem with my mom and they started fighting like it hmm. was like Almost every night they fight it, and I was like, I, I was in my adolescent age, and I was like hoping to die, like to kill mm. myself, not to see that. <laughs> you know, like I remember that feeling, and right now that I read articles, I know that like had like very bad mm. effects on on a child. Of course, brain. and even you know when you were saying it, uh, you're sharing that you're thinking of suicide. Um, you mentioned uh, you kind of laughed when you said it, which tells me there's a there's a def- there's a lot of pain there, and you're trying to defend against it. Um, yeah, and- yeah, it was not like real thing. I I know that like that's like a stupid feeling or thinking, but you know that. Well, was, did like, you say I, you I, said I it's stupid? Relief, you know, yeah. What's stupid? Like 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 when I at that time when I was thinking about uh, that. Uh, like about about like uh, like suicide or things like mm-hmm. that. Like I I got that time I know that that's kind of a stupid feeling or thinking, but it was coming well, too much. Well, I mean, I yeah. Like no, I mean, and so. Of course, I don't think someone should take their own life. I don't. That's so. I don't agree with you. I mean, I agree with you in that part of saying it's stupid, you know, and that I don't agree with it. But calling it stupid is not the focus for me more the focus is shows how much pain you were in not let's judge yeah. and even if you notice what you just did you were judging yourself for feeling suicidal as an adolescent rather than saying gosh that shows how much pain and how hard what i was going through was yeah, yeah. Does, does that make sense so in a way you can't even when you're in pain it's sometimes in some ways you have to put yourself down or judge yourself for it rather than just saying Gosh, that was such a hard time. And again, the laugh, I think, was was part of that. You know, I want to explore things a little bit more with you because I think getting into your past might uncover some more of what's going on. So hang on the line, and then we'll talk some more after the break, okay? Okay, thank you. Sure, thank you. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolokwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We were with the caller before the break. Let's go back to her now. Caller, are you still there? Yes. Okay. So we were talking about, you started off talking about the stresses you're feeling. You're almost finished with grad school, which is great. Um, but that you have 
a lot of anxiety, especially social anxiety. And also you can be very hard on yourself um, and also have some self-limiting beliefs, thinking that you can't make it or that you're going to do poorly at your job because of either your English or your self-esteem or whatever it is. But it seems like you're very critical and self-critical. Um, and before the break, we were talking a bit about your childhood, and it seems like there was a lot of pain there. And even I felt that you were minimizing some of the things you went through, both both in the experiences, saying my dad wasn't an alcoholic, and you wanted to make that clear, but he was drinking every night and his behavior was really bad, which sounds like someone who has a drinking problem, but you didn't want to acknowledge that. And then also talking about yourself, you mentioned um, f feeling suicidal during that time, and then later on saying... It was stupid to think that way. And so even with that being hard on yourself. So it seems like no matter what happens, you find a way to, to, to take it out on yourself in a way, uh, which makes things very difficult. Something else I wanted to comment on before we continue was when I mentioned going to therapy, you mentioned reading lots of articles. And that's great. Continue to read and learn. And there can be a lot of insights you might gain from that. But therapy is a very different experience. And... A lot of the issues that we have because of the way they were formed, which was very much in the relationships you had early on, especially with your parents, that means that the healing of it is going to have to be relational as well, meaning that you probably can't do it by yourself and you're going to need the help of someone else and especially a professional would be the best person to help you to go on that journey to heal those past wounds to help build the self-esteem that you were talking about and deal with the social anxiety and to feel better about yourself. So I want you to, to just give that to you, this idea that trying to solve it on your own almost definitely won't work and it's going to need professional help to get you to where I think you want to go. So I, I hope you'll keep that in mind as we continue the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I think I need to. I need some help for cognitive behavioral therapy for changing all thoughts and feeling that I have mm -hmm. to be able to change my behavior and I feel satisfied about myself. Yeah, that definitely the the CB, CBT can help, and you know, just definitely find a therapist you feel good with and comfortable with, and and be ready to commit some time to that. But I really hope you will do that. Um, but you're talking about your past and you talked about trauma so you said the fights that your parents would have were those fights violent uh excuse me i couldn't hear were, you well were the fights that your parents had did it get physical yeah hmm. sometimes okay. what's physical mostly was uh, verbal, verbal. Mm -hmm. and uh, but the problem that i have right now is like my focus is not as good as i need and I feel that, like, my registration, like, uh, registering the information in the brain is not as fast as I need. Mm -hmm. Like, for, for taking tests, I'm almost the last person to hand in my paper because I read slow and register the question slow, but I answer the question correct. Okay. So my grades are high, but my, my, my pace of taking tests is very bad. And I had this problem. Since my childhood, I remember I always had like time management problem for taking tests and exams. Well, I'm you know so definitely anxiety can be related to that. But even the way you talk about it as a problem, it seems like you're doing okay. And even if you're the last one to take the test, but if you're finishing 
within the time and you're doing well, that seems okay. I, I'm a, I'm not opposed to you getting better with the way you can take in information, but I don't want you to think of it as some big problem that you should really be upset about. It seems like you do a great job of making it work. But anxiety definitely plays a part in what you're talking about. And something else you can try um, on your own is to do some meditation. Have you ever tried meditating before? I recently trying to do that, like listening to some music and like uh, guided imagery mm-hmm. uh, techniques for helping me to, at the time that I feel uh, like a lot of anxiety and stress, I, I do that technique, Good. like deep breathing techniques and those things. Um, Good, and I that's great. Take, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I need to take the national board exam for being certified therapist. Mm-hmm. And that's a very uh, long exam for me, which is 170 questions. And my brain gets tired by the 70 questions. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I cannot process the information. Like, I look at the questions, but I cannot read it. Like, if my eyes get fixed in, in some point, because I, I cannot move it. Well, you know, if you're, you know, dealing with the anxiety, it's going to make it even more exhausting. So it's very possible that it's related to that. Yeah, I, I think it's um, the meditation will help you in those ways. You also can look into medication, which could help with the anxiety, or especially when it comes to performance. There's things like beta blockers that could re- reduce the physical symptoms of anxiety that might help you uh, with that. So I'd say. You know, you definitely want to go in and get help just for yourself, but maybe the exam could serve as a motivation to get you in there sooner and not put it off. Because definitely the therapy can help. Meditation, it's it's not something that instantly makes a difference, but over time it definitely can. So I hope you stay with that. It's kind of like physical exercise. You need to be consistent with it to really get improvements. Um, and then medication also. So I would look at all those avenues as ways to get help. Yes. And uh, how about learning disabilities? Because I feel like I'm not, I cannot uh, be uh, positive about that, but I feel like from the behavior of my professor, they, uh, they know that like my performance is good, but I feel that because they just said that one of you has, uh, we all know that one of you has learning disability. And I, I don't know if uh, I'm taking that, for myself or somebody else, but it has always like talking about one person emphasizing on that. So you're so I just, just so that they feel that I have yeah. learning So I'm trying to understand in the middle of the class, the professor says someone in this class has a learning disability. Yeah. That's that sounds kind of strange. I'm a little confused. I'm, but... so that that's very um, and then they keep every semester in every class, one of them would emphasize that. We all agree that one of you in this class has learning disability. Okay, that's very. That sounds really bizarre to me. That if, if they thought it was you, that they, and it might not be you. And I, I'm very confused by that because if yeah, I don't do, know. I do they really say? Do they say we're going to modify? Are they? Do they say? And because of that, we're modifying the test, or we're modifying something, or they just say it. No, I never get any modification. For no, no, I mean, but why are they bringing it up? It just seems very random. No, for they me. didn't mention the name, but like they, they was like generally talking, so that like um, 
they I don't know if they were talking to, like it was me that they they them, but um, probably they wanted like if it's me, I looking into myself and getting help. I don't know what that's for. I don't know. That's why I just uh, confused about that. Yeah. Uh, maybe because I. Uh, taking the test very like a slow, and they feel that my registration is uh, is not in a good case. Is a slow. They feel that I have learning disabilities. So I don't know which. Uh, I I'm going to see a psychologist for that, and I don't know which test is going to help me to figuring out if it's a learning disability. Well, I don't know the specific. Um testing and the thing with learning disabilities there's so many different types and a lot of the times it's dyslexia is the main thing that we're looking at and almost most learning disabilities come down to dyslexia in some way but there are different types of learning disabilities and different ways that dyslexia shows up in in how someone processes information so it's hard to say are you a better at auditory learning than a visual like is it hard for you to read but easy for you to, to hear uh, yeah i have to like uh when i learn i should learn it visual and like i uh like use all the methods visual auditory and then practicing by handwriting it up and um uh, rewriting and then and then i i have to make a connection between facts to be able to learn it if, mm-hmm. if somebody says that to me like this is the fact I cannot learn it because it should. I should know the reason why this is that, and I have to know how that works to be able to learn it, like hmm. in mathematics. Yeah, well, it, it's that's possible. There's something there, so I think it's good you're seeing a psychologist. I hope you, if they're if you're going to someone, make sure it's someone who specializes in testing, especially this type of testing, because you're going to need that. Um, but also make sure. I hope you don't just go in for testing, and even if it's not with this psychologist, but that you pursue therapy, because it seems like you're dealing with a lot of issues outside of just this board exam, which is important, but that you, for yourself and your own overall well-being. So don't just stop with the testing. Make sure you go in for therapy as well. Yeah. So, and then sometimes I, when I read something, it comes to me like backwards, um, like uh, the the word that's uh, written in. In a spelling way, sometimes I see, uh, like I perceive the word, the the last letter as the first letter, like by the left side, so just be in it, you know. So I yeah. Don't know if it's well, different. that can I mean that that seems like it could be related to dyslexia if it depends on how it's happening. People used to think of dyslexia was something with the eyes that it's like a visual issue, but what's going on is something in the brain that's not processing things the right way and sometimes it can it can show up in that way so it's possible you're dealing with with a learning disability or some type of dyslexia so share all those things with the person you're getting testing with um and and let them do the tests and and figure that out and also i would you know the anxiety is always going to get in the way of both learning and in your performance on your tests so if you reduce your anxiety you will definitely improve in in those ways so i'd highly recommend that because of of those reasons and especially because the way i hear you talk about your past and it's minimizing the pain and emphasizing your own uh, deficits or criticizing yourself very easily those are things that i'm sure are affecting you in a lot of areas of your life do you how is it 
let me ask you this. How is your romantic life or dating life? Um, I have a very successful marriage. I'm very Good. happy about that. And like, um, I, I am very successful about everything, but I am very hardworking. Okay. I don't get things easily. You know, like, uh, I have to put a lot of effort and into some things to be able to get that. It's like mm-hmm. not happening something. Yeah. But like, my marriage is, yeah. Good. Uh, perfect. Okay. Although perfect always makes is like a red flag for me when someone says anything is perfect. But I hope it is good. If you're happy with it, that's very important. Yeah, um, like, like my husband is my friend, and I'm, I'm going to talk to him about everything that happened, and he's the first person that can listen to me and like uh, really test it for me. That's why, like, I I don't feel that uh, I have to hide something from good. him. That's, uh, that, that's why I, I explain it as perfect because I don't see that in many marriages. Like people are hiding things from each other, but mm-hmm. like, we are first friends, then uh, husband and wife. Well, that's really good. We know that the uh, a marriage is really the quality of the friendship is the best predictor of how strong the marriage is so if you guys have that strong friendship that's that's wonderful and i'm glad you have that and hopefully have his support do you guys have any kids yes okay how old are your children uh he is 12 years old okay you have one yes yes. okay um well i mean you know it seems like you have a, a lot going on and that you're balancing it so Again, going back to how we started the conversation, it seems like you can be very critical of yourself and put yourself down, but I hope you could focus and emphasize the good things you're doing and what you've accomplished and what you were able to accomplish even with whatever you think are your flaws, like you said, the English or your self-esteem. It seems like you've done a lot, so I hope you won't let that hold you back. I'm glad you're getting the testing. I hope you go in and meet with a therapist to also do therapy and then, you know, best of luck on the test and keep going forward. But there's a lot of ways you're holding yourself back or talking negative about yourself. And I really hope you go to therapy to address that because that's something that's ongoing every day affecting you. But it's something that can be improved. So I hope you do work on that. Yeah, that's a very, um, you know, it was very helpful for me. At first, I, I, I wanted to learn about it to see, like, um, what the problem is and then how I can get the professional help and not just going from here and there. And but first I have to increase my knowledge about different things to be able to reach the right uh, uh, professional for getting help. Mm-hmm. And also I, I can like decide that I can help myself by uh, being aware of the problem. Absolutely. The awareness it definitely is the first step, but I'll reiterate again that something like the, the issues you're dealing with are you can't solve them alone. The awareness can be important, but you're gonna need the help of someone else. So I really do hope you, you'll go go to therapy, but it seems like you're you know doing a lot of wonderful things and again good luck on your test. Thank you so much. It was very helpful talking to you. Oh, good. I really enjoyed talking to you, too. Have a great day. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. We've reached our next commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Talakwi. We'll be right back.
back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Falakli. I hope you're having a good day. Thank uh, I'm you. I'm a long-time listener. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, sure, thanks for calling. I really enjoy the topics and the books you bring up, and usually I uh, make them a dinner conversation with my kids, and uh, one that I really enjoyed was to pursue purpose in life mm-hmm. rather than just pursue happiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably somehow based on that, uh, you know, my son, who's 21 and who's going to graduate uh, a very good university in California this June, uh, today told me that uh, he would like to join the Army because mm. his uh, goal is to ultimately join law enforcement in some form. And he thinks that's going to open up more doors for him as, uh, you know, getting better jobs and a higher pay, and that's something that he feels he's passionate about. Uh, I told him I don't have enough information about it, and I'll do some more research, and uh, my question to you is, I really don't know if I should support him or somehow discourage him. Um, so uh, he's a really good student. He has really high grades. Uh, he studied history and uh, mostly Middle Eastern history, uh, and he's into politics, and somehow he thinks this is something that would... Uh, satisfy him in all the interests he has. Uh, but I'm really afraid of this army thing. Sure, so I can understand that. Ask you first, uh, well, I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'd have the same concern too. It's, you know, a scary thing and um, you're of course going to be scared of his well-being and safety and and also for me what's important is to know his motivation or what's made him make this decision and also to ask you, had he mentioned this before, or was it something that came kind of out of the blue? Uh, he brought it up on and off, uh, joining the law enforcement in the last few years. Uh, but, you know, uh, we thought we need more information about it. Um, but I really don't know if this is something that would be a good fit for him or not. He's really yeah. smart, he's into sports. You know, all of those, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I just didn't know how to respond to him. No, I can understand that, you know, it's it was concerning. But so he had never mentioned for sure. He never said, I want to go into the military till just this. When you, right, okay. right, recently. That has come up in the last few weeks yeah. uh, here and there. Well, you know, the, the truth of it is it's going to be his decision to make at the end of the day. And so, but I wouldn't, mean that doesn't that doesn't mean you can't have conversations with him about it because for me what's important is sometimes for some people going to the military has a lot of meaning to them and sometimes it's even a family tradition and all those types of things but then for other people it could be something like like any type of extreme change but there's something there's something about it that shows it's not really what they want, but it's an extreme drastic change that they're looking for, or they're feeling desperate for something. And so it's not completely well thought out. And I don't know what it is for your son. And I wouldn't assume anything if I were you, because you don't want to start the conversation by saying, I think you're just 
drastically changing your mind because you don't know what you're going to do with your life. That's not going to create a conversation. But I would want to have a conversation with him where you try to really understand why he wants to do it. What does he think about it? Does he think about the risks? Uh, you know, what's going on? Because sometimes if he's not sure what he wants to do, if he can find a job, he says, well, at least I can go to the, the military and have like something there for sure ready for me. And so that's what I'd want to, to get into with him. Um, what's going on? Is his father in the picture? No. Uh, okay. In the last five years, he hasn't been. Okay, so right. what happened there? Uh, we went for a divorce. Uh, he was a long-time addict and alcoholic. Uh, I shielded the kids as much as I could, so they didn't know about his addiction until after the divorce. Mm-hmm. But his drinking was a problem. And then after the divorce, he divorced the kids as well. He's, he hasn't contacted them. He lives in Los Angeles, but has no interest in the kids. Either. So they they live in the same city, but he doesn't have any contact with them? Yes. No, no. Hmm, that's, that's unfortunate. Do the kids try to reach out to them, him, or have they? do they not uh, really want a relationship? My son definitely doesn't want a relationship. At the beginning, he tried, but uh, uh, the feedback he got was uh, so negative that he thinks it's easier for him not to have any contact with him. Hmm. That That's really sad. So there's a lot there, and I don't want to make assumptions and analyze your son and say we know what's going on, but there could be even something there related to his desire to go into the military, a desire for the authority or the strength that he didn't have, or for himself to become stronger part of that authority or enforcing part, and even the law enforcement itself. Many people go into law enforcement with very good intentions and for the right reasons, but sometimes there could be something else pushing that. And so I would, I think it's good to look at these deeper issues of him and his psyche and what he's been through and what he's going through to try to understand what's pushing him in this direction. Because, you know, something, there could be something going on there. Has he ever gone to therapy or is he open to anything like that? Yes, actually, his, uh, on and off going to therapy to seek guidance and see what he would like to do with his life. And okay. uh, probably that's one of the effects of the therapy that, you know, he thinks this is a good idea for him. Okay. You're saying when you say he thinks the therapist thinks or he himself through therapy came to that conclusion? I don't know about that yet. Okay. I don't think he has uh, talked about this, this therapist yet. Yeah. So. Well, did you mean he the law enforcement might have came from therapy, this idea of going into law enforcement? Uh, he's been interested in it, and I'm sure he talked to his therapist about it. I don't know about all the details, because mm-hmm. uh, he's older and the therapist doesn't share it with That's me. good. Well, that's good. Uh, the therapist, even if he was younger, I wouldn't want the therapist to share with you. But yeah, the therapist should not be sharing. Have you tried to get information from the therapist? Um. Sometimes I do, okay. but uh, the therapist doesn't talk about anything that went on in their session. Good. And I'm, they, again, they, they shouldn't be because he's an adult. I know you want to know. Um, but, you know, even in the way you talked about shielding them, there could be a controlling side that you have in your parenting. Could you see that? Okay. Yeah, 
I think I think that could be part of it. Okay. So that could be something that's going on. But I think, you know, what you want to have is conversations with him about what's what's going on for him because it, it seems like there's a lot to um, to figure out and to see what's pushing him. I can completely understand your concern when he says he wants to go to the army and what that means about him and what's going to happen. So it, may, it makes sense that you're concerned. Uh, I just hope you can have conversations with him. What's your relationship like with him? Uh, we're very close. We talk for hours every day at dinner table. Is the best time of the day for us. Uh, mm-hmm. I have an older daughter who's 23, and you know, they talk about everything that's going on in their lives and what they're thinking. So, but this one, so serious, just came up today, and yeah, I still don't know how to uh, respond to it. No, I can understand. It's a, there's a lot, you know. On one hand, is it do you want to come down really strong, or you're probably thinking, should I not do that? And it's there's no easy answer. I would just hope you can turn it into a bigger conversation about what's motivating it and what's making him want to do it, and um, you know that it is a big decision, obviously. And so you right. that's why you want to talk to him about it, not that you want to talk him out of it, but you really want to make sure he's thinking about all these things and it's the right reason. Um, to do that but yeah that's that's i could any mom is not gonna be so happy to hear that news so i understand where you're coming from what would be a good reason for him to want to do this you know this is uh, my question to you you're talking about the motivation of he wants uh, him wanting to do this what would be a good reason well you know the the thing is i definitely have to acknowledge i have an anti-war bias so i'm not a you know, someone who's a big fan of the war doesn't mean when people are in the military, they're making a big sacrifice. So I definitely respect and appreciate the troops and what they do. But my frame of mind is maybe different than maybe some people's. And I recognize that. Um, But there could be the honor of, of serving your country of wanting to protect and to, you know, as a police officer, they protect and serve, but also in the military to protect and to, um, not to kill, but actually to protect is very different for me. So some people might go into law enforcement or the military because of anger and anger maybe towards whether it's authority or anger towards some enemy, whether it's in their mind or somewhere in their past where they want to hurt someone else and they want to get that power and have that opportunity to hurt and kill. So to me, that would be the wrong reason. But if it's from a reason of wanting to, to serve or protect or to honor your country it's a little different and even still for me because I am definitely coming from an anti-war perspective. I don't like the idea of getting involved in military conflicts. And so it's less of a positive thing maybe coming from me, but I acknowledge that that's my bias and the way I experience it. Um, so I would just want to know where he's coming from. Um, but I completely understand as a, as a mom, it's tough and, my guess is for you there's no feeling that there's a right reason for him to do it you just don't want him to do that is that where you're at that you don't want him to to go into the military I think even if there is no conflict and it's just an army experience you know uh, it's just a waste of time I see that's a waste of time and if God forbid something happens in another war or something and being deployed somewhere and uh, his his safety and security would be uh, the issue and knowing him, him wanting to join the law enforcement comes from wanting and needing justice. Mm-hmm. 
so I think that's a big motivator for him. Yeah. So when you say wanting and needing justice, that he didn't see it in his own family in some way or in his own home, or where where is that uh, missing justice for him? Uh, he doesn't see justice being done, you know, and he wants more of it and things like that. But I mean, does he say in the own in in your own home he's mentioned there was injustice in some way? Because sometimes he people haven't talked about yeah. that, right? So I don't know if mm-hmm. this is his issue of uh, being at home, uh, the home issue, or uh, mostly it's the society issue to him. Well, yeah, and, and obviously those things are genuine issues. But if sometimes someone is really seeking it out in a significant way, it could be reflective of something they experienced themselves either in the home, maybe even the way you describe his father, I'm sure there's a lot of what probably felt like things were unfair or unjust, and maybe from a, at a younger age he was powerless to do anything about it, so it's wanting to have the power to do right. to do that. So there, there could be some things there. And so also in asking about your, your own feelings and biases, it's good for you to be aware of those going into the conversation, because if you come too strongly from those biases, he's going to maybe react to them and get defensive. So I would try your best that your feelings are very intense about this, I would imagine, um, to try not to come on too strong because then he's more likely to get defensive or to close off and you're less likely to have an open dialogue where he can tell you more but then also help him explore because I think if he's just telling it to you today, maybe he's not so set on it or he might have his own concerns and the more you attack him, the less he'll share those concerns with you but the more you allow for an open dialogue, he'll be able to tell you what he's feeling, maybe doubts or concerns he has or what his reasoning is and, and explore that in a deeper way. So I, I would say that try to be ready for that almost, that when you are going to see him and start talking about it, that you don't come on too strong because that actually might close him off and then you lose that opportunity to, to connect with him on the issue. I understand. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. Sure. Good luck. For your help. And if he Thank ever wants you. to call in, I would love to talk to him. You know, let him know that's that's available. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. That'll be great. I really appreciate My it. My pleasure. Have a great day. Take Thank care. You. You Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, going into our next commercial break. Studio number three one zero four four one zero five five five. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Delacqui. We'll be right back. Back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Yes. Uh, hi, Dr. Rockley. Hello. Uh, I'm happy I can reach you because it's impossible to speak to your father. So you're just as wonderful as possible that you're helping us all. <laughs> well, my pleasure. My pleasure. Let's, let's hear uh, the question. Well, my question is, besides... Whatever I've been gone through, and right now I'm in my 60s, widow, with lost almost everything in my life. Of course, I have my health, and two children that I still, two adults that I still have to support. Unfortunately, the oldest one, 40, 43, married and child, 
he skipped losing jobs, so finally, after four years, he lost the job for a year and a half, but it's costing me, like, whatever saving I had done and saved in my life. So I'm in terrible anxiety, terrible worry, don't sleep. Then next day I get up and I say, you know, Americans are right. Your health is your wealth. But that doesn't pay my bill. And I'm just quite scared. And no matter what I tell him or what I do is he thinks I'm lying. And his father had uh, brain cancer, prosthetic and he was just speaking nonsense because he also was in a lot of other drugs and medications. And uh, he believed that his father told him he left a million, he can live comfortably, and I'm hiding it. And I tied his hand in the back, and I put everything under my name. So I'm really truly suffering with him. Mm-hmm. And every time I say, this is it, I'm just not going to talk to him. I'm just going to block my number. And uh, But it just doesn't happen, unfortunately. I guess maybe I hate to say it. I'm a mother. And it's just uh, sometimes I said, maybe I'm better off in the street than they are. So I I don't know what to do any longer. So. Well, I mean, it's not, it's not an easy situation, obviously. But to... You know, to to suffer the way you are for him is yes. not fair either. You have to take care of yourself, and okay. that okay. it seems like you're having a hard time doing that. Or he, and he's having a hard time taking care of himself or being able to 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 survive. You said you're taking care of both children. Well, my daughter was living with me, but she's in her she's in her early thirties, and for a year she moved out, and my brother helped and. But she was very unhappy where she was, and she put on some weight and unhappy, and she came back near where I am, but uh, she wanted to live on her own, but of course she can't afford completely, so I have to pay her rent, and I said to her, maybe one year and no more. And it's not really fair to her because uh, she never really truly gave me a hard time. She's a sweetheart. She understands. She's, but it's the year is coming up in July, and when I'm looking at my rest of my saving, uh, I'm just quite scared. I I don't know what to do. Um, well, it seems like you might be holding your kids back by taking care of them. I mean, your daughter has to find a way to support herself. That's what she's trying. Um, I have a confidence with that, but it's my son, worst of all, and he used vulgarity. He, he writes me the most disgusting texts that sometimes, honestly, <laughs> as a woman, as a mother, I get scared. Although I know he would never hurt a fly. He threatens you? He I'm sorry? Does he threaten you physically? Well, he tells me... Uh, you want me to come over and choke you, let's suppose, or uh, you're this and you're, you know, he uses... And make sure, please don't use any bad words on the air, but, um, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you didn't, no, no, you didn't say anything yet. I was just saying, I just wanted to, until, before you get into Uh, the profanity. Um, No, you can, I mean, but, but that sounds, 
uh, not okay, and he's disrespecting you, and Very that's not. Much so. that yeah. Hurt me more than right. Else. And that I think I should know. be something that you, I would hope you don't tolerate or accept. Well, I don't, and I get very upset, and I must say I do yell, and I do raise my voice, but that doesn't help because I no. get more sick. I get all muscle spasm. I walk around crying with pain, and it's, 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 it's not right. Yeah. I understand, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how, however I would come and... A proof to him that I'm not lying. I mean, well, you might I have to, to you you might have to give up on that. Okay. I mean, you know, how how can you convince him? It seems that he's convinced that something his father told him is the truth, yes. and I don't think there's yes. anything you can do. And if anything, I could see it hurting you because even if you had money to take care of yourself, you might be afraid to use it on yourself because you think he's going to threaten you that or accuse you that see you have so much money you bought something for yourself for you. I, I don't know. Whatever you do, it just makes it really hard for you to even use the money you do have. But you, you're not going to convince him. He believes what he believes. He seems very angry, and he seems like he has anger issues. Obviously, if he's you know talking of those things, and so you accepting his behavior is also not helping him. You, you said he's married. Of course, and he's a child, eight years old. Yeah, but I mean, no, but I'm not. I'm not focused on that. I'm saying I'm wondering. You know, even him as a husband and a father. You know, if that's the way he's behaving with you and showing him that it's in any way okay is actually hurting him. Yes. So you can't, you know, you accepting it and thinking, well, I'm a mom and I, because I love him, I accept it. To me, you're not doing mm -hmm. him any favors by accepting it. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I don't. And I do go to therapists. I do speak. Good. And of course, of course, I'm not a type just to, uh, as you people say we sweep uh, all the problems under the rug. Mm -hmm. No, I don't do that. I do speak. But even um, even that is not going to help because well, some yeah. people are very strong. They say, sure. uh, block him off from your phone. Just do not answer him any longer. Even my own brother and sister, they say that. And they even suggest, uh, let him go get a lawyer Give him your social security number. Let him go check to see what you have, which I must bring this up. I did raise them with, I don't want to speak like that, but everything, the top, the homes, the car, private school, private uh, colleges, but it was nothing except actually problem with him from a day one. He stepped into college, and since then, and he's now in 40s, and I'm still suffering. Um, well, yeah. it, it seems like, you know, you provided them with everything, but there was a, a level of codependency, too, that you were keeping them dependent on you, because they still are. So yes. th that's the feeling I get, is that you were also, in some way, it was for yourself, too. And now we have the situation. So I don't want to blame you for every, anything that your son does or everything he does. But the doing everything for them, giving them everything probably wasn't the best thing. And you can't change the past, but we have to change the pattern now. And yeah, yelling and arguing with him is not necessarily the best way to deal with his disrespect. Exactly how to deal with it is not going to be easy, but you could let him know it's not okay. And you can't, I won't continue a relationship with you if you're, you're using this kind of words. I did mention that. 
And but you have to actually follow through with it. Mentioning it is not enough. Yes. Mentioning it makes it an empty no, threat. No, no, I'm sorry, doctor. No, I did mention you have to respect me and you have to believe me. If not, I love you as a son, but I don't like you and your behavior. If you can change that, you are welcome anytime to talk to me or see me. If not, please just just go on with your life and let me try to live. Was that wrong what I had mentioned? I don't I don't think so. What was his response? Well, as long as soon as he gets what he wants to pay his bills and his rent, okay, mom, and there we go again in three weeks. He starts texting and texting and calling and calling to the point that I can't sleep and I don't know what to do. I just but why can't you mind. sleep? Because of worrying about what he's going to say next. Now, how much more he wants to now, how much more I have to put in there. I'm not making anything. I mean, even you talk about him like he's your, you know, like you're a hostage. I am. Yeah. Or I mean, I'm being a bully. Right, but you're. But I want you to recognize, you know, you're. It's like you're in a cage, but in some ways, the door of the cage is open. But you're just choosing to stay in the cage. I am in the cage, but yes, I'm a very free person. But yet, I'm in the cage. Mm -hmm. That's what. Yes, you're absolutely right. And so, I mean, I, I know it's not easy to to deal with this situation. So I don't want to make it seem that simple. But I want you to recognize that the pain that you're in and that jail that you're in is in some ways you're choosing to stay in there because this notion of being a mother that I have to always be there for him and no matter what, give him what he wants, seems to override everything else and all the pain and suffering and disrespect you're having to, to tolerate. Um, and so... And your suggestion is how do I go by it? Just close everything in my life and... Him it's possible it might it, i mean that might be where it, it gets to I, I think again i would you let him know but if you you know say you have to respect me or else the or else has to be we can't have a relationship and then yes. he might say okay then because let's say he's happy and even it seems like you ask for what you want when you give him what you want but respect is something that he has to give you every day no matter what is going on and when's the last time you gave him money or didn't give him money it should be an always thing um but so it seems like when you bring it up it's when you say he's happy and he says okay mom but then you let him know this is not about just right now this is always and if he doesn't give you that he need you know you're not helping him it seems like he's so dependent on you that in his 40s he's still not taking care of himself and his family which is his he's responsibility i'm lazy okay although i always did work and I'm telling him he can do anything besides a professional that he thinks he has, and he cannot get that job. Just make anything better than making nothing. Yeah. And whatever I say, no. I don't have a professional with this or that. Okay, you're an accountant. So far, you're not doing well. You have a family to feed. Um, you can yeah. do anything. I mean, but you know that I think even trying to solve his problems for him is not going to work. He's, okay, you know, I understand you're trying to you're trying to help him and you're right, but it seems like he's he's going to have to figure it out on his own. And maybe even he's not willing to make money in a way that he doesn't feel good about or take a job that he doesn't feel good about, but he has to make money. Is that is that kind of what you're saying that he won't take 
a job. Yes, take anything. Yeah, I what, it would be yeah. help to him and his family and not to kill me in a long run. Sure, I've seen a lot of people in that situation. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people because of their own, whether you want to call it ego or pride, they won't take a job that's lesser and make the money their family needs to to take care of them. But again, that's not, but you're you're feeding into that by letting him continue that way. Again, I want you to realize you're not helping him. Not letting him find what I said, perfect. But what do I do next? I'm sorry, I didn't... Well, right. I, I don't want to tell you exactly what to do because it's going to be difficult whatever you do. And then if I tell you to do it, it, it just gets complicated. But it seems pretty clear that in the way you're describing it to me, helping him financially is not actually helping him in the long run. Exactly. And exactly. allowing him to treat you poorly is not helping him and, of course, is not helping you. So you have to take care of yourself and you take care of you. He takes care of himself. I would recommend the book Codependent No More if you haven't read it already. Yes, yes, I have heard from your father. Yeah, so read that book Codependent No More. It seems like clearly you have a codependent relationship, definitely with him, also with your daughter it sounds like, um, but especially with him. And you're just hurting yourself and hurting him with what's going on. You're not being a loving mother and helping anybody with this situation the way it is. Um, And so I would hope you make it, it like you're seeing it's not working the way it is for 40 plus years something has to change and you have to recognize that making a change is not going to feel good when you make it it's going to feel uncomfortable it's going to be painful it's going to feel wrong and everything is probably going to be pushing you to go back and that's why you're probably going to need support whether it's from a therapist or family members both um to make that change family members are telling me yeah, it seems like they're on your side away. with that. Yeah. No, yeah, they said move away, move away for a year to LA or move away to Florida, but I don't think that is the answer. No, well, I mean, you should be able to set the boundary even if you're wherever you are, very close to him. But you have to set the boundary yourself, and I'm just saying their support. I'm not saying do what they say to do, but I'm saying you might need their support because you have to be ready that you're he's going to keep calling and keep calling to keep things the way they are. And a lot of things within you are going to push you back to make the same thing happen. Which I have been. Correct. Yeah. So I hope you make that change. Even for him, he, he can't, the way things are, it's not going to work. Thank you. Yeah. But thank you for calling. Thank you for your time. Sure, sure. Have a great day. Bye-bye. All right, going into our last commercial break, studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fatty Jalak. We will be right back. Welcome back. Uh, on Monday's show, I talked a bit about politics and not any specific political issue, but talking about how we unfortunately have created an adversarial way of approaching politics, especially here in the United States very much us versus them and everything becomes black or white or blue or red and because of that we actually don't have healthy conversations or discourse and actually we become more and more um, polarized in our ideas and even more extreme because we have to be so sure that we are right and we have the truth and the other side is crazy immoral wrong and whatever other words we can think of and it doesn't allow for there to be any type of healthy conversation. I think it's really destructive. Um, And that was on Monday. But I wanted to talk about another, in a way, related issue today. And that's the issue of 
uh, political correctness. And it's something we hear a lot about when people talk about how to talk about things or how not to talk about things and what words to use and what words not to use. And this has become another, uh, in a way, dividing issue that we've seen in American politics in particular, where um, you're either for political correctness or you're not. And either you're for being sent, it almost becomes to the extreme of you're for being sensitive or you're for being rude or you're for being open would be the other way of looking at it or you're for being too closed off and fake in how you communicate. And I think, again, we don't have genuine conversations about these issues because of the adversarial um, setup that we have. But I did want to talk a bit about political correctness because I think I can see some things from both sides and I wanted to share some of my thoughts on that. So to begin with, I definitely think words matter. So the words we use to talk about groups of people, um, of or of course of individuals but different groups or the slurs that we use or then don't use these things are very important i can even remember when i was a kid there's a certain f word not the main f word that we usually are worried about using on tv or radio but there was an f word that was used to describe gay men and as a kid i remember hearing that a lot on the playground um and it was pretty okay to say. It felt okay. It was a mean thing to say, but I feel like it was more okay definitely than it is now. Just a couple decades later, you see that there is a change in the use of that word. And I think that's a good thing. We shouldn't use derogatory terms or words, or they shouldn't be okay to use about any group. And we're seeing movement in that direction that um, it's not okay to say those words and it's less acceptable. And I feel like there has been changes just even in these recent years. And I think that's very good because the words we use to talk about people definitely affect how they feel about themselves and also how they feel society views them on a larger scale, which has big implications. I've talked before about the LGBTQ community and the higher rates of suicide we see in, in with those individuals, but also how, um, when we saw something like marriage equality or when gay marriage became legal in states, there was a decline in LGBTQ suicide attempts because of that, or it seemed very much caused by that. And so the way we talk about or even relate to people has an impact. So the words we use and the way we see people, and to me, when you give people equal rights, that tells them you are equal and human, just like everyone else, this has a big impact. So I'm very much... Um, in favor of being aware of the language we use. This, we have to be sensitive to it and aware of the assumptions that are very often in the language that we use. When I was a kid, if you read a book, they would always say he, but now you see they say he or she, or sometimes they'll just say she. So we've seen a change in the assumptions we make in our language, and those assumptions reflect things in society that are values or norms or beliefs or stereotypes and prejudices that we have. So they have meaning. So I want to make that very clear. But I do think we can sometimes go to the other extreme where we're afraid to even talk because we might not use the right word. And related to that, there's sometimes, I've heard people call it the outrage police or people who will attack anyone who says something that in some way maybe can be seen as insensitive or not okay. 
And rather than making it a conversation, it becomes an attack. And people maybe didn't mean to offend and really didn't mean anything or maybe didn't say anything very wrong, but they feel the need to apologize because they get attacked so strongly for saying something or using a word or using a phrase or whatever it might be. Um, and that to me also can be not okay. We do have to hold people accountable. So I'm not saying we should never say anything. Absolutely, we should. But I think it's gone a little bit too far where people are afraid to say anything. And I think part of the reason that I see for this, that this um, feeling of outrage, again, some of it is very justified. So I'm talking about in those extreme cases where it seems to cross the line or is not really based on how bad the thing the person said, the reaction seems out of proportion. I think oftentimes it's actually because we all have prejudices within ourselves. We all are to a degree racist and we all hold biases about various groups. We don't like to acknowledge that. We don't like to accept that, but we know it's true. If we do implicit bias tests or t tests that can look at what your unconscious thinks, because yes, on the surface, people know to not say they're racist or sexist or think anything about people from different groups. But what we actually think can often shock us, maybe surprise us. You might not even be aware that you have these biases within you, but we know that we do. And so I think that sometimes out of a reaction, because we don't feel good about what we feel within ourselves, that we have these judgments or these feelings, we in a way project it and take it out on other people, that you're full of judgment and prejudice and hatred, and I'm going to attack you because of that. So in a way, it's a projection of our own recognition that we have some of these biases within ourselves that we're so much looking for it in other people to attack them, to jump on them, to judge them, to, um, you know, uh, even go to extreme measures to make them feel bad or whatever. Even people will bully someone and use really bad language to tell them they didn't like the language they used, which seems almost hypocritical to a degree, but that's what we do. So I'm all about being sensitive with the words we use and being aware of that. And I'm all about accountability. And when people in the public say things, there should be accountability. So I'm not saying we should never call people out. Absolutely, we should. But I think sometimes when we go a little bit too extreme, it's reflecting that within ourselves, we have some prejudices and judgments that we have, and we don't feel very good about that. And we like to attack people on the outside by noticing when they have it. Now, on the other extreme, the people who are very anti-political correctness, they say, oh, you can't say anything anymore. And again, to a degree, I think there's some truth to that. We almost limit free speech because people are afraid to say anything. But sometimes when they go to the other extreme, people almost make it seem that because I'm against p political correctness, anything I say is okay, and I can just be rude and disrespectful, and that still is okay. And if you're upset by it, it's because you're sensitive or you're being politi too politically correct when that's not the case. So people go to the other extreme as well and almost take the fact that someone's offended by what they say as a sign that they're saying something good. Because if I disagree with you and you're offended by what I say, then it's because I'm so right or what I'm saying is good that you're offended or I'm doing a good thing because we're enemies and I'm offending you. And they'll say it's because you're being too politically correct or you're too sensitive or you're a snowflake or you're too easily triggered. And that's why you're reacting the way you are. There's nothing wrong with what I'm saying. And so I think that's very dangerous too. 
the assumption that to be rude is okay because you're doing it out of a reaction to political correctness, or it's not even rude, it's just people being too sensitive and too politically correct that they get offended by everything, which is not the case. So I think, as always, rather than pointing fingers at the other side and saying, see what they do and how wrong it is, these people are too sensitive or those people are too insensitive, these people limit free speech, these people don't care about what anyone says and think everything is okay, rather than pointing the fingers, we need to look at ourselves and say, okay, if I'm reacting so strongly to what people say, is it genuinely about what they're saying and how upsetting it is? Or is it almost like I'm looking for something to be upset about? And then from the other side, Am I saying things just to purposely insult people or offend people or to be rude because I want to make a point that I don't care about political correctness? Is that really genuinely okay what I'm saying? Or am I just doing this out of a reaction to try to trigger people or get them upset and get them mad to make my point? Because to me, neither one of them are okay, but both of them are happening very often. And both of them are things that I think are hurtful to both the communication we have and the way we talk about political issues, but even just moving forward. Because if we can't acknowledge the shortcomings of our group, and unfortunately even in politics it becomes like us versus them, that we have us, but if we can't look at ourselves and see what we're doing wrong, there's no room for progress. And if we keep focusing on what the other side is doing wrong, we won't really get anywhere. But I think unfortunately we have such an adversarial uh, political climate right now, that there really is no room to look at what we do wrong or acknowledge you're doing something wrong because you're constantly in a state of war and you can't show any weakness or any doubt or any area where you've made a mistake because you constantly are fighting against the other side. So I'm very much in favor of being aware of the language we use, being aware of the terms we use to talk about people and groups and how they might be offensive and hurtful and how we can modify those things to make people feel better and make them feel more comfortable. I think that's very important and important for us to do. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that if someone uses the wrong word or doesn't even know what word to use, we can jump on them and make them feel bad and bully them for what they said. And on the other side, just because you don't believe in political correctness or you feel like political correctness has gone too far, it doesn't mean that you can be rude and be um, disrespectful to people and chalk that up to you being for free speech and for um, or anti too much political correctness and you're trying to be open and direct because that's not the case. If you're being disrespectful and mean, it's just mean. It doesn't mean it's uh, good speech or using your speech in a good way. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Again, the book of the week for this week is The Power of Different by Gail Saltz. The Power of Different, The Link Between Disorder and Genius by Dr. Gail Saltz. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners and to Rahman here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.